And uh, the good news is you don't have to listen to me the whole time this morning. That's a blessing. Um, we have Chris and Anne and Ken and Louise going to be coming up and sharing some of their personal testimony in this. But I just wanted to lay out a few things about what we believe as a church and why this is so significant and important to us. Um, so I'm going to read a really well-known scripture. We're going to jump into that in just a second. But let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would be a people always ready to hear from you, always ready to receive and to be changed by you, Lord. Lord, thank you that your word is powerful and it is alive and active. And Lord, I would pray as we just open up your word together, as we, as we open up this subject together, we would just be, have hearts that are open to you, Lord. Everybody said? Amen. Okay. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It's the Great Commission done really well. I'm really sorry, by the way, we've only got one projector. A guy is coming, hopefully, eventually, to have a look at the other one, but it's all right. Um, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, when, when they saw him, sorry, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, sorry for the Z, it's from an American translation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm sure you've heard that scripture before if you've been around church for any amount of time. Um, but one thing I've learned as I've got older and slightly wiser um, is that people love to know what's expected of them. Just people just thrive in that environment where, where, where the person who is in charge or the person who's supposed to be in charge gives clear direction of what they're expecting you to accomplish or to do. And Jesus, man, did he know this? Fortunately for us, he did. He, he totally got that we, as people, we really need to know what's expected of us. And, and the reason that I've chosen to focus on this particular text this morning is because it has two parts, really. One, it, one part is Jesus assuring, assuring us of who he is, what he has accomplished, and where we stand because of that. Um, and, and secondly, what now he expects of us as a result. And there's those, this word in the middle of this text that is so significant, so important, is the word, therefore. Therefore. And the whole scripture really pivots on this word and, <coughs> excuse me, and it's really important because Jesus wants us as his disciples, first of all, to understand something really important. It's the, it's the bit that he says first. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you see, as a consequence of what Jesus accomplished, as a consequence of him going to the cross, as a consequence of him coming from the grave and being raised from the dead, as a consequence of all of that, something has happened. Jesus has dealt with all that separated you from a relationship with your Father in heaven. And now as a consequence of that, this event has happened where Jesus has been handed all authority in heaven and on earth. That has happened. And, and the word that he uses next is therefore. Therefore. I want to share a story with you. 
I think it's a pretty stupid story, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, okay, when I was in school, probably like year one or two, it's like one of my earliest memories in the playground, there was uh, two lads who I've never forgotten, went to secondary school with them as well, one called Christopher Clements and one called Mark Heggy. With names like that, they're going to be bullies. And they were bullies. They were bullies. And I remember distinctively, uh, probably year one, yeah, probably more like year one, and Mark Heggie and Christopher Clements had developed what became known as the Mega Punch, right? And uh, I don't know, how old are you in year one? Pretty young. Six, something like that, yeah? And they developed the Mega Punch. I'm going to demonstrate it to you. It's very dangerous, um, so just watch your eyes, okay? And the Mega Punch went a little bit like this, right? Okay, bit old for that now. I'm not looking forward to the next bit of the story now. Okay, so the mega punch, right? Kids ran in fear for their lives when they when the mega punch came, and they would run at you doing the mega punch, and you'd be terrified. They were two bullies. They always were together, and um, you see, one day this incredible thing happened. I was stood in the playground, and Mark Heggie and Christopher Clements were in front of me. And they were gearing up the mega punch, right? They started swinging the arm. I'm not going to demonstrate it more than I need to, if I'm being honest. They started swinging the arm. And honestly, kids used to run for their lives, right? The mega punch was known. And they, and, and I, I still don't know who it was beside me, but I, there was another lad, well, not a lad, a boy, because we were six beside me. And he wasn't scared, right? And this, and I'll never forget this day for the rest of my life, you know. And, and he wasn't scared, even though Mark Heggie and Christopher Clements were in front of us, he wasn't scared of these bullies because he had developed what became known as the double mega punch. <laughs> Which goes a little bit like this. I can't do it. <laughs> when you're six, you can do it, right? He, he developed the double mega punch. Okay, I know it's a stupid story, but it's what came to mind. You see, Jesus has got the double mega punch going, right? Like all power and all authority is his. And, and, and you see where, where you used to run in fear of what the world could throw at you, of what attacks could come towards you, you understand the power, more powerful than a double mega punch. And trust me, Year six in Green Gates Primary School in Redcar, that was, whoa, right? The double mega punch. It's more powerful. And you see, we go with this assurance that what we have beside us, not this angelic being with a double mega punch, as I remember, but we go with all of the power and authority in heaven and earth that Jesus, he gives to us through the power of his spirit. He's the one who equips us. He's the one who sends us. It's all authority has been given to him. And maybe you just need, before we even jump into what Jesus is asking of us this morning, before we jump into people's stories or or asking Jesus the question, what does this mean for me? Maybe you just need reminding of of his power, of his authority. Maybe you just need reminding of, of the fact that he chose you. You see, his majesty... All of creation knows who he is. 
He tells the sea to move out of the way for his people and the sea parts. He tells food to fall from the sky to feed his people and food falls from the sky. He tells the, the storm to hush and it stops and it ceases because it knows who he is. It knows his voice. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And it is therefore that you are sent. Therefore, you can go knowing with full confidence of who you have with you. More powerful than the double mega punch at your side. John 15, 16 says, Jesus says this, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And why? So that you might go (laughs) and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And like I said, Jesus chose you by name. And he chose you and he says, therefore, gives you really clear instructions. We need really clear instructions, or I do. Real clear instructions of why why Jesus is empowering me because he's sending me and, and, and to go and to share the good news of the gospel. In fact, the apostle Paul says that's the only reason he's alive anymore. Acts 20, 24, he says, however, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And what task did Jesus give to us as his disciples? The task of testifying to the, to the good news of God's grace. God's grace and love has been poured out on us, his people. And we can go and share that, that Jesus came and he did away with all obstacles. And we have this, not just this real life changing experience now with him, but we have the assurance of everlasting life with him and through him. And like I said, the word we're focusing on this morning is mission, or more importantly, world mission. To hear the good, for, for the, for the world to hear the good news of the gospel, to hear the good news about Jesus. And, and we see throughout the good, throughout the gospel, that Jesus' news, that the good news of the gospel is for everybody. Every tribe, every nation, every language, it tells us, in, in the book of Revelation, will worship, will bow down and worship the Lamb. And we see just throughout, uh, it's coming, slide four, it's coming throughout, so we see it's shared with the Jews. I didn't want to go through each scripture because I haven't got time, I've got to be quiet. Uh, the Gentiles and the Samaritans, we see that the gospel is shared with, with different nations, with different, uh, different languages. And, and Jesus sends his disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses, not just here in Jerusalem amongst the Jews, but amongst the Gentiles in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In this room alone, we have so many people born in so many different nations and countries and have different languages as their native tongue. And we all come together this morning to worship Jesus, right? And we're called to be a people who share the good news to the ends of the earth. And that who is that who's called to share? It's you. It's me. Some of you will share with your family, with your co-workers. Some of you will share inside of Jerusalem, so to speak. Some of you will share in Judea, Samaria, and some of you will share to the ends of the earth. 
but we're all called to go and share. I've asked this morning as a special treat for, first of all, Anne and Chris are going to come and share some of their personal testimony of what this has played out like in their lives. And, and then afterwards, uh, Ken and Louise are going to come and grab the mic. Okay. Why don't we welcome them up? That'd be great. Hello. <laughs> um, well, we're going to do a double act and swap the mic about. Um, so I had a call on my life that I felt when I was 14 years old. I came to know the Lord when I was 13. And uh, I went on a mission trip myself when I was 14. <laughs> and I went to a place called Shetland. <laughs> Not exactly dark as Africa, but um, that's where um, I went as a, a, a part of a, a small youth team um, sharing the gospel on the island. And whilst we were there, I felt a real call of God that I knew at some point I was going to be going somewhere other than a safe sort of island on the top of Great Britain. Um, that didn't materialize in our lives until very, very much later. We sort of lived our life. We went through all the normal things of getting ma married, having children, doing a job, all of that. Um, and sometimes I think you sort of hold on to something and you wonder whether it's ever going to materialize. Um, and I was reading yesterday about Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, and just thinking, they must have thought God had forgotten about the call, but actually he hadn't. <laughs> they waited for a very, very long time to have John as their son. Um, God hadn't forgotten. God's timings all was perfect. And I think <laughs> for Chris and I, Chris, he also had a call. Um, as, as a young age, he always knew that it was going to be Africa. I sort of had an inkling, but I refused to, to take that because I don't like spiders <laughs> and I don't like snakes either. Um, but, um, and Maria, it's okay because I've never seen a snake at all <laughs> when we've been. <laughs> um, so, um, so we held on to that dream for many years before we actually went anywhere. I'm going to pass on to Chris. In 1962, my father, who was not a Christian, gave me this book. It's not a Bible. It's a book called Heroes of Nowadays. And it was about the heroes of the World War II and that era. But in the middle of the book was a chapter on a guy called Albert Schweitzer. He was incredibly bright. He was French. He was born in the Alsace region. I think he had five PhDs. He was a musician. He played before kings and queens. At the age of 31, he trained to be a doctor. And in 1913, he went to French Equatorial Africa to set up a missionary hospital. I became a Christian in 1967, so long before I was aware of God, God had planted a seed in me. 
that, that story has never, ever left me. Brings me to tears when I read it. And that he gave up everything to go and serve those less fortunate than himself. So um, our sort of call became concrete, really. Um, when we had a prophetic word, we were at a conference and we both felt unsettled for a while and thought, you know, something just doesn't seem, we, we just don't seem satisfied. Do you know what I mean? That sort of unsettling of the something, but we don't know what it is. And we were at a, a conference and, and somebody spoke and and I don't remember what anything was about, but I do remember that he said the word go. And both Chris and I looked at each other and it was like God hit us with a bolt of lightning that that was the word. And it, and it was, it was something that was going to be imminent that we needed to get involved with. And it was confirmed by uh, another prophetic word from someone who said, I see you too as having had a ship anchored in deep water and your children have jumped off the boat um, and uh, come back to you and jumped off and come back to you and they don't need to do that anymore because they're off themselves and God's saying, lift the anchor, go. And it was really powerful. Um, so, yeah. So we tried all sorts of doors. We tried Poland, worked with street kids in Poland for a couple of years. I went to Bloemfontein, but the door never opened. Oh, yes, and I applied for a job as an accountant with Missionary Aviation Fellowship. Um, but that door shut as well. And then a lady from our church went across to Uganda to work in a charity called New Hope. And we said... When we get the kids through university, we'll come and see you. And we told people about that. And then a guy, a pastor that we knew from Basingstoke, rang us and said, I hear you're going to New Hope. I said, yes. He said, I've got three people that would like to come with you. Is that okay? I said, sure, yeah. So one of the nights we were there, we took one other young man that we were working with and God's impressed on me. He said, and I shared it with them. I said, you've heard the drumbeat. You've heard the drumbeat. Now walk in time with me. Within 12 months, the single lady that had come moved out to be there. Within 24 months, the married couple, the three from Basingstoke, had all moved out and started working there. So mission for us really started that way. We felt a call. We um, accepted that call and and started the work. Um, it's not, we have never been called to go out and stay there. You're going to hear something else from Louise and Ken shortly. Um, we, our mission for us is supporting people who are out there already, taking teams out to work, praying over things, um, and in 2015, incidentally, while Chris was still going through chemotherapy, we started the charity, um, New Hope Uganda, because we just believed that, you know, this, this was what God wanted us to do and that we needed to, um, to really stick into this and, sh and, and say yes to God. Um, so we've, we've taken teams out. We, 
We've worked with various different people, taking people out to support in various different ways, teachers, medical people, play therapists, builders, Phil, <laughs> who's been out. There's a number of people who have been out with us who are part of King's, uh, and we thank you for that. Um, but it's, for us, ours is a, a support role back here and going out. Um, which is the difference between us and Louise and Ken. <laughs> I've never felt qualified to do this. I'm hopeless at languages. I tried speaking French and they just laughed at me. Um, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a medical person. But all I want to do is serve King Jesus. And any way I can do it, mend windows, paint walls, I'll do it for King Jesus. Two important days in your life. First one, when you're born. The second one, when you, when you find out what you were born for. Yeah, um, just to round up, um, there's a, a really a crucial set of verses for us that we come back to every time and it's in Matthew 25 and it's talking about when Jesus says you fed me you visited me in prison um, that particular set of verses um, what you did for others you do for me um, and we've seen that God uses us practically to go out and support people you know that our trip coming up shortly which I hope you're staying for lunch for, by the way, um, <laughs> to hear more. Um, you know that there are lots of practical things that, that we've been able to do and kings have been able to do, cutting shoes, um, which has been amazing. Um, we are used practically in this position, but the reason why people come to know the Lord through that is because of that relationship that's been built up and that we are supporting practically, but God is using that to bring people into the kingdom so that we can show the love of Jesus to people. But on the, the back foot of that, we're bringing people in to know the Lord through that vehicle. So that's us really. <laughs> So, good morning, everyone. Is that on? Is it? Louise will hold that for me a second. Um, so, uh, this is our story. And uh, you'll hear several echoes. You'll hear several echoes to things that, uh, listen, Adam just said. Interesting. Um, so, Louise and, Louise and I... Uh, I believe that when you become a Christian, God has a plan and a purpose uh, for your life. And uh, we're going to share with you what we discovered to be God's plan and purpose for our lives. So I, I was born in Glasgow, and uh, my early memories are of living in a Glasgow tenement in a working class family, um, but it, it was a, a Christian home, 
And so I grew up in a Christian environment. And by about the age of around eight or ten, uh, I apparently told people that when I grew up, uh, I wanted to be a missionary doctor. What were the chances of that for a wee Glasgow lad from a tenement? Um, but uh, at the age of 18, I was baptized. And at the age of 19, uh, I started to study medicine at Liverpool University. And during the five years uh, that I was uh, at medical school, during that time, I uh, attended Christian Medical Fellowship meetings and I met a doctor and a nurse uh, who were on furlough from their work as missionaries in Nepal. And that piqued my interest in going to work as a missionary doctor in Nepal. But I felt that I would go for maybe three years and then come back to the UK where I thought I would like to be a GP. Um, so I started at the end of medical school. I started training as a GP. But with the intention of when I finished my GP training, offering to go and serve God on the mission field. So towards the end of that time, I applied to a mission organization. I didn't just get up and go to Nepal. I applied to a mission organization called InterServe. It still exists, it's around. And after some screening and some interviews, they accepted me to go and work in Nepal. Um, but before going, I thought it would be a good idea for me to learn something about medicine in a tropical country, in a developing country. So I applied to go and do a diploma course in the School of Tropical Medicine at Liverpool University, a three-month course. So having been accepted by InterSurf, having finished my GP training, I went off to Liverpool to do a diploma course. Those were my early years and how I got to that point. Here's Louise. Like Ken, I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for each of us. Looking back over my life, I can see how his plan for me unfolded. It started with growing up in a Christian family and in a church where overseas mission work was emphasized. And like Ken, at about the age of five, I told people I was going to be a missionary nurse. There you go. Then I did pursue a nursing career, which would eventually qualify to me to work in another country. After graduating and working as a nurse in Canada for a few years, I went to Bible college for a year where I met inspirational visiting missionaries. Then came the opportunity to join a team going to Ethiopia for a year at the time of the famine in the 1970s. After that, I came to England to meet up with friends I had met in Ethiopia. While here, 
I had the feeling God wanted me to remain open to overseas service. And so I contacted the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine to participate in one of their three-month courses. They had a waiting list, but someone had just cancelled, so seeing as how I was in the country already, I could have the place. And so Ken and I came together, and I was able to join him as his wife in going to Nepal. All coincidence? I don't think so. God has a plan which has continued to unfold for us over the years. So Louise and I met during this three-month period that we were both at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. So God had, through our early years, brought us to that point of commitment. But his intention wasn't that I would go singly. It was that his plan was that we would meet and go jointly. So that's what happened. We met on the DTM and H course. According to God's plan, we married and we went to Nepal. Nepal is one of the world's poorest countries. Uh, it has high maternal mortality, high infant mortality. At the time that we went, the per capita income was less than one dollar per day. Um, so a lot of poverty, very poor infrastructure at that time, not many hospitals. But I worked in our missions hospital in Kathmandu, and I did some work in community health uh, in villages, helping to teach and train health assistants. And during those three years while we were there, we started our family. Our oldest daughter, Heather, was born. And after three years, we came back to England. And I worked as a GP in Stockton on Tees. But after about four years, we felt God calling us back to Nepal. We weren't sure. So we didn't just up and go. We discussed what we felt God was calling us to do with our family, with our friends, with our church in Stockton. And we applied to another mission organization, Tear Fund, that you may have heard of. And after the usual screening and interviews, they felt that God was calling us back and they gave us the opportunity to be employed by them and to return to Nepal. At this point, we were living in Stockton-on-Tees. We had a house, we had a fridge, a freezer, a car, a lawnmower, but here we were feeling that God had called us back to Nepal. How did you feel about that, Louise? Well, the prospect of selling our house and our belongings, packing up, saying goodbye to family and friends, and taking our children from what, what was a stable and familiar environment to the unknown was daunting. But in the face of this, God gave me the verse in Matthew 5, he will give you what you need if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Also, there was a song by Keith Green, popular at the time, which said, 
If Jesus commands you to go, why do you feel so called to stay? Not everyone is called to serve God far away from home, but he had given us the skills, experience, and opportunity to do so. So why would we miss out on that call and what he really wanted us to do? So we went, so I went to Ethiopia, and as a family, we went to Nepal confident that he was with us and would care for us. In many ways, living in Nepal was much like living here, although with a few added challenges. Ken went to work every day. The children went to school and played with their friends. We went to church and became involved as we were able. I remained a mother and a homemaker with plenty to keep me busy. But we were living in a very different culture that was greatly influenced by Hinduism and poverty. The language was different. Ken learned the language really easily, but I learned it by blood, sweat, and tears. There was different food, which meant learning new ways of cooking, shopping, and developing new taste buds. With Nepal being a very poor country, there was poor infrastructure as well, which affected the way we lived. We cooked on a two-ring burner fueled by gas cylinders when they were available. Fortunately, we did have electricity when it was working. There was a chronic water shortage. Did you know that you can use water up to three times before throwing it away? And there was the challenge of day-to-day -day living with no mod cons, which we take for granted here, like the washing machine, the hoover, and the lawnmower. But we did have a car, a fairly reliable 1964 VW Beetle. However, all these so-called difficulties pale into insignificance when we consider the positives. Our trust in God grew as we saw his church grow, and as we experienced him taking care of us even when life seemed too challenging. We grew together as a family. Our children have a very broad worldview and consider their childhood in Nepal a privilege. Most important, we grew in our understanding of God's heart for the poor and those who don't know him. We had and still have the privilege of being in partnership with him and others in his kingdom in serving him wherever we are. After about six years, uh, we felt that it was time to return to the UK. And we came back and I got a job until I retired in uh, 2007. Uh, but uh, it hasn't actually ended there uh, because after I retired, God gave us new skills. He helped us to develop new skills so that we were able to continue and involvement in mission, uh, teaching English this time in Cambodia for three months or so, and in Nepal also for three months or so. So instead of going for years, we went for three months, or you could go for six weeks or for 10 days. Uh, so God gave us those additional skills, and we've used them in those two countries that I've mentioned. 
So in summary, I guess we're saying that by listening for God's leading and by responding to that, our lives uh, have been very much enriched, and so has that of our family. We've experienced God's leading, his faithfulness, his blessings, and we're glad that we took those uh, steps of faith in responding to what we felt was God's plan and his purpose for our lives. Our lives have been interesting, challenging, exciting, uh, full, but we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said in John, I'm come that they may have life and have it in all of its fullness. So we're, we're glad that we heard his voice and that we responded to it and accepted the challenging and interesting life that he led us into. After all, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were made for, is it? Just thank you so much to them for sharing their stories. Um, and uh, we just, uh, I just want to finish by sharing just something very quickly with you. When we, um, Ken and Louise and Chris and Ann um, started meeting with me probably two years ago, we just started praying that God would reveal to us the things that he wants us to be on our heart in terms of nations and projects and you know you know when it's like there's so many things you can be involved in (laughs) there's a lot of countries out there um but actually god would you bring things to us with sam and abby who we showed you earlier were two of those people that god brought to us and there are many other things that god has brought to us and will continue to bring to us what's important is that for us as a church we just put this last block on our wall This isn't everything that's important to us, but these are foundational things that we are talking about right now. That we understand that we're called to be a people who go. And I just want to finish really with when we started praying together two years ago, I thought God gave me a picture, a word for us as a church. And it was around, I don't know if you've ever flown out of Teesside Airport or ever seen it. It's tiny. There's not many flights that go out of there. Um, Charming, but tiny. And I felt God say that at the moment that King's is Teesside Airport. And then I thought he gave me a picture of a second airport, which was Schiphol Airport, which is um, Netherlands over the sea. And, and Schiphol Airport is crazy. Just flights in every, every you know, few seconds and so many staff. It's huge. It's, it's like a little mini city of an airport, you know. And I felt God say, you might be a Teesside right now, but I... I'm going to make you into a Schiphol airport. And you know, in an airport, there's all different types of jobs. There's people who get the planes ready. There's people who refuel. There's people who get people in their seats. There's people who make sure they've got meals on the flight. There's people that make sure that those things happen. There's people that get on the plane and go. There's all these different things that happen. And, and, and for me, I just want to press into that word 
And what we found is, as we've prayed and said, God, bring us the things that you want us to be involved in. Give us the nations and put them on our heart. Um, I felt that we found that God has been doing that naturally. We haven't had to chase after things. So I want to finish with that. And I want to ask you, just, if you, just stand with me. I know you've been sat for a while. Just stand with me. We're going to finish with communion. We're going to finish with just with a song of worship. Just, Lord, reveal right now. Lord, reveal to us which countries you want to put on our hearts. Maybe that country's been there for a long time for you. And maybe you're not even going to be the person who gets on the plane. Maybe you're going to be the person that shares the gospel with somebody who will be the person who gets on the plane. What we know is that the good news that we have, we can't keep it to ourselves. It must be shared. And Lord, if that picture that we see in Revelation of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, confessing that you are God, if that become, if that is going to be the reality in heaven, which we are promised that it is, then that means we've got a job to do right now. We live in a world that desperately needs the hope and the love of Jesus. So Lord, we might only be able to pray. We might only be able to cook the meals to, so that people have provision for their flight. Whatever it is, Lord, we all have a role to play. But Lord, help us to make sure that world mission is just part and parcel of who we are and what we do. Whatever the cost, whoever you call, Lord, 